Why don't you grab whatever copy of God's Word you have with you today, whether that's an analog version with pages or a digital version that you click, and go to 2 Kings chapter 7. And as you're turning, let me welcome those who are watching online. Can we welcome those doing church online today? We're so glad to have you with us. Our, our house campus down in College Station, we greet you. However you're watching this, we're just glad to have you joining with us. Happy Memorial Day to everybody. And I just want to say how thankful I am for our armed forces um, our men and women in uniform who have served, who are serving, and, and certainly we honor today those who have given the ultimate sacrifice so that we can sit in an air-conditioned church with no threat of anyone coming in here and arresting us or persecuting us and talk about the goodness of God. And so I just, I want to, I want to celebrate all of our servicemen and women, uh, uh, past, present, and even those who are, who are on their way there. And so say, good, God bless you to all of them. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 7. What's going on? Well, we know that, that um, the kingdom of God, Israel, God's people, was, were united until after Solomon dies. When Solomon dies, um, Rehoboam becomes king. Um, and then Jeroboam splits the church. He was the associate king. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. It's a preacher joke. Anyways, I'd be good at a pastor's conference. I would teach that then. But anyways, um, but he, he, he actually divides the kingdom. And so the king, God's people become divided into the northern kingdom of Israel, which was, would, would then be led by Jeroboam. Um, and the capital was Samaria. And then the southern kingdom, where they had sweet tea, of, of Judah which would have been read, led by Rehoboam, and the capital was Jerusalem. And it continues this way for, for, for hundreds of years. In, in about 1850 B.C., um, there's a king that comes to power called King uh, Jehoram. Um, that's the way we pronounce it. it. Really, in the Hebrew, it sounds differently, as you might suspect. He comes to power about 850 B.C., and he reigns for 12 years. And, and for seven of these years, there's this king of Syria called uh, King Ben-Hadad who keeps attacking um, Israel. And uh, Elisha is the prophet that God had raised up at this time to prophesy to his people. And Elisha keeps telling King Jehoram the plans of King Ben-Hadad because the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, would reveal them to him. So, so all the attacks are thwarted. But there comes this attack where finally King Ben-Hadad musters all of his forces and comes against Israel, and he, he sets siege to the capital city of Syria. And, and so now this is siege warfare. And, and the king and his people are shut up in Syria, and of course they can't get supplies in and out. This is siege warfare. You eventually starve them to death or eventually wear them down until finally they surrender or until you find a way in and then they're too weak to fight. And so they, this, the city is under siege, if you will. And then God brings uh, uh, Elisha with a word. Now you need to understand like how bad, how bad was it when we say the city was under siege? Well, what, what the Bible actually says, if you read chapter six, is that a donkey head sold for 80 pieces of silver. Anybody having fried donkey head for, for, for dinner tonight? <laughs> no, that's about $500. And it was the least desirable part of any animal because donkeys were considered unclean, so to eat the head of a donkey, right? And then, and then a cup of dove dung sold for about twenty dollars. 
Yeah, that's your appetizer. And uh, that's your starter. Yeah. Uh, we'll have a side of Doug Dung just before we jump into the, mon- to the, the monkey brains. That's Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones and the monkey brains, donkey brains. Anyways, um, in fact, it got so bad, they actually turned to cannibalism. In fact, the king actually has this kind of story, almost similar to Solomon, where the two ladies were fighting over the baby. But, but this lady comes in and says, look, here's what happened. My friend said, look, let's eat your child today and then we'll eat my child tomorrow. And she's like, so we ate my child and then she hid her child. So, so it's, when I say it's bad, it's bad. So, so then with that, 2 Kings 7 opens up with, with Elisha coming on the scene with a word from God. And Elijah replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sea of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Those would be normal prices, right? Those are normal prices where at this point, obviously, if, if they even had it, it was just a lot more expensive. Verse two, the officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man, oh God, Look, even if the, he's like, OMG, right? (laughs) Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, this couldn't happen or could this happen? And Elisha says, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Verse three, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we will go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we'll live. And if they kill us, then we'll die. You got to love the reason of these guys. Right? At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great and the sound of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and did a sweet brown. They ran for their lives. Amen. I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) You got to love you some sweet brown. Um, I call this message nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Can, Can I pray? Will you pray with me? Father, we are here in your presence. God, to hear a word from your spirit that would transform our hearts and lives. We are not here under religious pretenses. We are not here to fulfill religious obligation. We are here because we believe that you alone have the words of life. And today we want to hear from your spirit and be revived in our souls and be transformed in our minds, be renewed in our hearts and be empowered to go out and win, to increase your kingdom on this earth. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Kind of a crazy text. I, I love texts like this that are just a little bit interesting. I love taking texts like this and trying to figure out how to preach them. 
Because, you know, how do you preach like dove dung, donkey's heads, and four lepers? Like this, this has the making of a bad movie. You know what I'm saying? Like this is, but I love looking at this and, and, and there's, there's a word that's in my spirit um, for our church. And, uh, and, it's, and, and it started at the beginning of the year. If you remember at the beginning of the year, I preached a message, uh, a whole series of messages called Forward. In fact, that was the theme of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, forward, because I feel like God is wanting us to move forward. And, and I remembered this text um, as I prayed, the Holy Spirit brought back this text because there's a famous line, why sit, why sit here until we die? Like even I remember an old King James, why sitteth here until we die? Um, yeah, they teach you how to do that Bible school right there. That was my anointed voice. And um, and, and I just thought, God, this is, this is the word for somebody. And so if you're taking notes, write, write these things down uh, really quickly. Um, pretty simple points. Number one, you will die if you go back. You will die if, if you go back. I think one of, the, one of the greatest tactics of the enemy when, when we encounter the enemy or when life gets tough is to try to convince us it was better where we came from. Um, I, I think sometimes when we step into the mystery of faith and things happen that we don't understand, um, when, when we lose our job or we get a diagnosis or when something doesn't work out the way we felt like it should have worked out, I think at that point in that tension, many times the enemy comes and he tries to convince us that is it really worth following Jesus because this didn't really work out for you the way that you had hoped it would work out for you. And if you follow Jesus, everything was supposed to work out for you. But side note, I think the New Testament church, the one we read about in the Bible, if you were to tell them that following Jesus meant that everything was going to work out for them, they would laugh you out of the church. These are men who were boiled alive, shot with arrows, speared to death, crucified upside down, and beheaded because they followed Jesus. So this Western culture idea that because I'm following Jesus, I'm going to get a raise. Because I'm following Jesus, I'm just going to be happy all the time. Because I'm following Jesus, it's okay. I'm going to preach it. You don't have to like it because it's true. And you need to understand that there is no contractual obligation for God to do everything that you want. If you need a genie in a bottle, become Prince Ali and get you Will Smith and paint him blue and let him be your genie. But God is not your genie. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is not your genie. Are you with me? And following Jesus, let me help you with something. We don't follow Jesus to make everything in earth go right. We follow Jesus because the only other option is death. Following Jesus is a life or death proposition. And we don't follow Jesus. Well, I just, I, can I just say sometimes, and, and I have those moments, too, where I have to get over myself because I'm like, God, you know, I just felt like this would go better. I felt like this would move faster. I felt like you would do it this way. I felt like this. And sometimes you just had to get over yourself and realize, God, I'm following you because the only other option is death. That, that you came to fix a sin problem because it caused a death problem. You didn't come to fix my vocational woes. And I just think sometimes, sometimes that we miss this idea that when, when things get going tough, 
is there really another op option aside from keep going? I mean, you're just, I mean, at some point, you're going to have to dory this thing and just keep swimming. Because what other option? But here's what the enemy does. When we encounter tensions and stress and, and, and opposition, so many times what he will tempt us with is, well, if you just go back. And these lepers were smart. They're like, if we go back to the city, we're going to go back into the famine, into the siege. They were smart enough to see what a lot of people sometimes miss is that going back is just going into bondage. Going back is just going into death. Why would I turn around and go back into siege? Why would I go back into bondage? Why would I go back into a famine? Um, in, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is teaching about the, the, the second coming. And he brings up, he, he makes this statement. He says, remember Lot's wife. Now, you remember the story of Lot's wife? Lot and, and had... had pitched his tents towards Sodom, not a good idea. Sodom was like Vegas on steroids. And, and his family ends up trapped in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God delivers Lot, but the angel of the Lord said, don't look back. And we know Lot's wife looked back, and immediately she was turned into a pillar of salt. I think, I think after that, probably past the salt, had a whole different meeting at family dinner time. <laughs> I'm sorry, but anyways, probably didn't even have salt. Um, but, but, but he's making this point that, that he said, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. And I think what the enemy starts saying is when things get out of control because I'm following God, Sometimes, because we are people, um, every thought, this is science, um, every thought in your head has one of two foundations. It can only have one of two, fear or love. So, so every thought that you have is going to be rooted in fear or rooted in love. There, there is no other way to think. Does that make sense? And, and so when, when we have a thought that's rooted in fear, our instinct is always control. Because once we feel like we're in control, we feel like we have less to fear. I don't know if you know this, but you have control issues. You do. I'll tell you if your spouse won't, I'll tell you. But you have control issues. And, and, and anytime you're trying to control something, it's because you have surrendered your life to a thought that is rooted in fear. Now, what did John tell us? There is no fear in Love, but perfect love cast out. Right. So the idea is to try to find whatever that situation is and get a thought that's grounded in love because that's where faith is going to come from. Faith is always going to come from thoughts grounded in love. And what Jesus said is when, when, you're, when you're pursuing um, God and, and you run into things you don't understand and things get difficult, the fear side of your brain is going to try to convince you to take control of your life and most of the time, the way we take control of our life is, well, if trusting Jesus has made me afraid, then let me trust in me. It's a grand illusion because, number one, you can't control anything. Right? I mean, you can control where you go to the bathroom. And for some of us, when we go to the bathroom, we can still control. <laughs> But I'm just saying, outside of a few things, you can't control. 
the situations of this world. You can't control climate change. You can't control, you can't control but, but this is what the enemy does. He convinces us this illusion that, that trusting God has made me afraid because I don't understand and, and everything that I see is overwhelming. So I'll just turn back here to where I could be in control and trust in myself because that makes me feel safer. And the moment I do that, I've gone back in I'm now back in the famine. I love this passage in John chapter six where Jesus is teaching. And I mean, he is like, his Instagram is blowing up. He's got YouTube subscribers. People are just all caught up in the hype of following Jesus. And then he comes out with a new teaching series called Eat My Flesh and Drink My Blood. It wasn't Ozzy. It was, it was actually... <laughs> It was actually Jesus. And what he was doing is he was creating this tension of, of mystery and, and misunderstanding. He was creating a tension of the unknown. He was creating a tension to highlight the fact that if you follow me, you're going to have to follow me into things you don't understand. And it's not always going to go. See, see, they were fine following Jesus when there was a lot of hype. But when he called them to a new level of holiness, they decided they would go somewhere else. And most of the time on the other side of this tension, this threshold of tension um, um, where, where we don't understand, where it doesn't look quite right, if we move through that, we move into a new dimension of holiness in revealing the character and nature of God like never before. And the enemy knows that. So that threshold becomes the stronghold where he convinces us that, uh-oh, you better not go that far because you don't know what's going to happen. You've already, you've already gone too far. You're in the mystery and you should go back. And so when he comes out with this new series, eat my flesh and drink my blood, all of a sudden people start un unfollowing him and, and they're unsubscribing and, and they're leaving him. And, and, and he looks at his disciples and says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where could we go? Yes. To whom else could we run to? Only you have the words of life. Peter was smart enough to know what the lepers knew. And that is, there's nothing back there that can help me. There's an illusion of safety, but it's in the, it's in the city of famine. And I'm not going to turn back for an illusion of control when I really can't control anything that's going on back there. I will just press through what I don't understand, what I don't really see, what doesn't make sense to me, because you're the only one who offers life. You're the one who came to make us alive. And so, so, so I'm going to lean into the mystery and lean into what I don't understand and lean into what looks like chaos and lean into what looks like a diagnosis or what looks like a divorce decree. Jesus, I'm not turning back right now. I, I just, sometimes, can I just say as Christians, we've got it easy in the Western world because no one's going to execute us today for our faith. And we've got little cushion chairs and air conditioned churches and goldfish for our children. And we still struggle to get here more than three times a week. Yet you go across the ocean and there are people who under threat of losing their life will gather day by day and read some scripture they have because they know the gospel is not about my convenience. It is about my conversion. I, I remember the, you remember the song we used to sing? You remember the song? Some of, you, some of, some of our guests are like, 
<laughs> some of our people who are not guests are like, <laughs> but, but God has called us to follow him, not to judge the circumstances and outcomes. Why would, why would we think about this? Why would, okay, let me, let me help you with this. Following Jesus doesn't have a Google rating because I think some of us are, are, are critiquing God on how this following is working out. Well, I'll give you three stars today, God, because I haven't got my boat yet. I'm giving you two stars today, God, because I still haven't found a job. God doesn't need your Google rating. But you need him. I, I remember the, the story. Uh, remember the old song we used to sing? Um, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. Do you know how that song came into existence? During the Welsh Revival in 1904, um, people were converted, shut down all the bars. Bars turned into churches. Uh, it's an incredible move of God. And, and they started sending missionaries all over the world. And a missionary went to, a lot of missionaries went to India, which was very hostile to the gospel. And uh, one of the missionaries uh, converted this family and began to teach them. And the chief of this tribe found out, and he brings the man out. There's a man and a wife and two sons. And he said, is it true that you've basically, I'm going to put it in English. Obviously, they were not speaking in English. But, but is it true that, that you've decided to follow Jesus? And he said, it's true. And he said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to renounce your faith. And if you don't, I'm going to execute your sons. And, and the, chief looked at, the man looked at the chief and he said, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And with that, his sons were executed. He said, I'm going to give you another opportunity, and then I'm going to execute your wife. And, and he said, the, the chief basically said, even if no one goes with me, I'll still follow Jesus. And they executed his wife. And the chief said, I'll give you one last opportunity, and then I'm going to execute you. And he said, the cross before me, the world is behind me. No turning back. And with that, he was executed. Isn't it interesting that to him, that's what following Jesus looked like? And to us, we're trying to work out our faith when temporal, sometimes meaningless things, sometimes grave things, but sometimes small things aren't exactly going our way. What he knew, what the lepers knew, what I hope you know is there's nothing back there but famine. Here's the second thing. Um, pretty simple point number two. You will die if you stay where you're at. So let's, re let's review. If you go back, <laughs> you will die. If you stay where you're at, you will I'm just trying to convince you you don't have as many options as you think. That's all I'm trying to convince you of. If, if, you, if you go back, you will... And if you stay where you're at, you will, right? See, there, there is, um, there's a truth in the Bible. In fact, I would say it's a spiritual law. But there's a truth, in, and that is the truth, is that you can't maintain anything. You can't maintain anything. The, the spiritual law would be this, grow or die. Those are your two options, forward or death, right? So what the lepers are running into, we see it here in the Old Testament. I can show you the New Testament in two places because Jesus actually gives us this law. 
We can see it in Matthew 13 and Matthew 25. In Matthew 13, verse 12, Jesus is talking about, here he's talking about understanding. In Matthew 25, he's talking about, it's the parable of the talents, okay? But here he's talking about understanding. And he says, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Please notice two options, increase or loss. Grow or die. It's a principle. Listen, in your relationships, you either grow your relationships or they die. You cannot maintain a relationship. You either grow it or it dies. If you're in business, you grow or you die, right? And and listen, in our church, we will either grow or die. We will either open wide and accept new people and love new people. And Pathway, can you help me out, by the way? We're getting so many new people. I think you think, and you don't know they're new people because we have so many worship experiences. So will you just help me and everyone, everyone just, I'm going to knight you right now by the authority I have as the head preacher, all right? You are all greeters in the name of Jesus. In other words, anytime you encounter someone you don't know, greet them. You don't have to give them a holy kiss. That's Bible stuff, right? But you can give them a high five fist bump or a handshake and say, have we met? I don't think so. All right. Because I don't want new people to come in and think we're all about us. We're not all about us. If God has a favorite, it's the one that hasn't been reached yet. And we have people that come in every week who do not know Christ. They need to be our favorites. It's all about them. It's not all about us, right? It can never be all about us because when it does become all about us, we will die. You you either get better or you get worse, but you don't stay the same, right? It's just, it's just, it's the truth of it. And so, so in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about the parable. He says the same thing. To him who has, more will be given. And to him who doesn't, what he has will be taken. But now he's talking about the parables. He said, this master gave, gave five talents to this one servant and two talents to this other servant and one talent. And then he left and came back. And the one who had five said, Master, look, I took the five and have turned it into ten. Well done. I'm going to give you more, right? You've been faithful. I'm going to increase you. Um, the second guy's like, hey, I, you gave me two. Now I'm going to give you four back. Well done. I'm going to increase you. I'm going to give you more, right? And then this one, check this out. He says, here's the one back because I was so scared to lose it. I went and buried it. Now I'm going to give it to you. He didn't lose it. He tried to maintain it. And because he tried to maintain it, Jesus tells us that the master was indignant. And he's like, how could you do this? Couldn't you at least put it in a bank and get some interest? And now he says, so take his away from him, the one, and give it to the one who now has the 10. And this is what Jesus says, because the one, right, who has more, more will be given. And the one who tries to maintain whatever he has, he's going to lose because you can't maintain it. See, this this is the truth of science. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that all matter leans towards chaos. That, that, that all energy, right, um, it's, it's, uh, they call it entropy, uh, entropy, entropy, whatever. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I just heard a line from Ghostbusters. Back up, man. I'm a scientist. Anyways, um, <laughs> entropy. So it all leans towards entropy, which is decaying energy. And, and so it's always interesting to me that science will tell us that all matter actually moves towards disorder, but somehow a cosmic bang created all the order. 
It's just, it's like, y'all got to agree about your laws, man. But, but, but here's the idea is that, that because of this, there's dynamic energy of growth. And then there's this uh, entropic energy of decay and there's really no middle ground. Think about it. A, fl a flower grows and then it starts dying. I mean, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but with all of us, we grew to a certain point and now, and now we're on the downhill slide for some of us, right? I mean, like you, you don't maintain, it wouldn't be nice if we could. I know for me, I, if I could still be like 25, it'd be awesome to have that energy and, you know, and to have that metabolism and all those things, you know, but, but you just don't maintain. Some of you are like are depressed. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. <laughs> I'm just trying to preach the gospel, man. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just trying to point out the obvious is that you either grow or you die. You know, it's, it's, these, are the only, these are the only two options. And here's the reality for us. We have a choice just like, those, um, just like the servants did. You have a choice of whether you will grow or whether you will die. And you choose. You choose just like these lepers. Should we sit here until we die? No, we really can't stay here. Why? If we stay here, we're going to die. Well, we could go back. There's that illusion of safety and control. Go back into the city. Not really. Famine, siege. We're going to die there. That gets us to the last point. It's the best point. Your deliverance is determined by your direction. Your deliverance is determined by your direction. 2 Kings 7, 4. Here's the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole message, the whole sermon in, in one verse. If we, if we say we'll go into the city, the famine's there and we'll die. If we say here, we will die. And so here's what they said. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. And if they spare us, then we'll live. And if they kill us, we still got what we got. Right? That's why I called this message Nothing, think about it. Let me help you about removing options for you today. Just trying to make your life easier if you're stuck today. If you go back, you're going to. If you stay where you're at, you're going to. If you move forward, there's a chance you might. Okay, I'm not a smart man, but I tried to make this test as easy as I can. Right? Like I'm putting this message together. I'm like, God, I just want to make it so simple. I just want to make it so simple. All right. So if you go back, you'll die. If you stay here, you'll die. But if you move forward, you could live. Nothing to lose in moving forward then, right? Nothing to lose in moving, in moving forward. Um, do you know why I think the, the whole town of Samaria, the whole city was under siege? Because they were afraid to confront the enemy. If you're stuck today in a place that is dying, because if you're stuck, you're dying. Remember, because you either grow or die. Yeah. So when we get stuck, when we get stagnant, we are dying. I just wonder what the enemy is that you're not willing to confront. I'm just wondering if you're stuck today, it may be because the enemy of pride, you just don't want to humble yourself. It could be because um, you just don't want to trust God in that way. You know, we have a lot of, um, 
we have a lot of uh, obedience that's around to it obedience when I get around to it. And a lot of times we know that breakthrough is on the other side of our obedience, but because we don't want to surrender to that obedience, we stay on this side. But we don't tell God we're not going to. We tell God, yeah, I need to. Like, you know, I'm going to get in a life group at, at some point. You know, I mean, I, I know I've been here five years and, and they talk about life groups like all the time and I'm going to get in one because I know that's how people grow and that's how they move. I'm going to do, you know, I'm so tired of being stuck in my finances. I'm going to try that, that thing they talk about called tithing where you give the first 10% and then God opens the windows of heaven and pours out blessings. And, and I've heard all these amazing stories and testimonies through a rise of what God has done in other people's life. And I want, and I know God's calling me to take that next step and, and I'm going to get around to it. If listen, can I help you with something? If there's anything in your life you're going to get around to, you're stuck. We're back to the, I'm going to try. No. What did Yoda say? Do or do not. There is no try. Right. You You need some, you need some star Wars logic. And, and what, these, what these guys determined was the city's under siege because they don't want to confront an enemy. And what I would say is, if you are trying to avoid confronting an enemy, right, maybe, maybe it's sin that has you stuck. Maybe it's an attitude of the heart that has you stuck. Maybe it's just you don't want to do what God's calling you to do. You don't want to, you want to take that next step of obedience. Whatever it is, whatever it is, here's what I want you to know. If it's stuck, it's because you're not willing to confront the enemy. And the only way forward is to come. You need to understand this, by the way, that the moment you decided to follow Jesus, you didn't get on the love boat. Soon we'll be making another run. (laughs) Like if you're younger than me, you don't even know what the love boat was. (laughs) Sounds like a hippie movement. But anyways, um, but you didn't get on a cruise ship. Got on a battleship. Peter said this, your adversary, the devil. Think about this. The day you you placed your faith in Christ, you gained an enemy. And so the idea that you can just wander through and not expect, here's a way to know if you're really moving forward or not, if you're running into the enemy. If you're not running into the enemy, it's because you're going the same direction as him. And so to me, to me, here it is. If you're stuck, it's because you're unwilling to, to face the enemy. And, and you have an enemy, and his job is to war against you, right? Jesus said it this way. Your enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Look, he's not going to play nice. He's not going to leave you alone. And, and so many times we get stuck because we don't want to confront whatever the enemy looks like in our life. And, and for some of us, it's not an army out there and we're in a city. For, for some of us, it's a step of obedience. And for some of us, it's a step of surrender. And for some of us, it's confession of a sin. And for some of us, dealing with an attitude of the heart. But whatever it is, whatever we're unwilling to confront will always keep us captive. Um. There, there are two ways to war, by the way, and we miss this. There is, there is the struggle or the striving, and there is the surrender. Two ways to war. We miss it. We always think of warfare as being um, offensive in a way, and it is offensive, but we have different offensive weapons. And, and sometimes surrender is more powerful than striving. 
Do you see what the leper said? Let's go and surrender. Let's just surrender. Because see, going back, that's the opposite of surrender. Staying here, that's the opposite of surrender. But if we go and say, hey, following Jesus means surrendering all of my life, not just the parts I'm comfortable giving him. But when I signed up, it's an all or nothing. Jesus didn't halfway go to the cross and I can't halfway follow him. It's all or nothing proposition. And when I surrender, I surrender all of my life, whether I understand, whether I like it, whether it makes me happy, whether it doesn't, I surrender everything. That's the only way to follow Jesus is to surrender everything. And sometimes we think that we can give Jesus like weekend visitation rights and then live our life the way we want to in between the weekends. Or we can give Jesus this little part of our life where we can tithe, but God has called us to be obedient. God's called us to serve. God's called us to grow. God's called us to change. But it's like, well, if if I'll pay him off, then I won't have to deal with that. Following God is not a negotiation. He will not negotiate with, with, with terrorists. Are you with me? It is all or nothing. It is, it is surrender. And I love what they said. They said, we're just, we're just going to surrender. It's what James 4, see, I mean, because the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is Paul talking. But he said, we wrestle against principalities. So there's a way, there's the striving, there's the wrestling, there's the struggling. And then James said this, surrender to God and resist the devil. Yes, Two different ways to war. And there are times in your life where you got to go into spiritual warfare and you got to strive and you got to struggle. And there are times in your life you'd win if you'd just surrender. You know what I love also about this text is that the lepers didn't know the word. They didn't know what God had said because Elijah comes with a word in verse one that says, basically, God's going to deliver you miraculously. The lepers weren't in the city. They weren't allowed to be. They were outcasts. They, they had to walk around veiled saying, unclean, unclean, right? This is how they lived. So no one had contact with them. So, so they weren't in the meeting to hear the word of God. Now I'm going somewhere this. They didn't know the word of God. Yet they were the people who God used to bring it about. Not because they knew the word, but because they did what they knew. I say that because so many times we as believers are like, oh God, I'm going to need a word. God, I'm going to start tithing just as soon as you give me a word. And, and God's like, how many times do I need to say it? Like I got a bestseller right here. I've been saying it and saying it and saying it. And, and so many times we are stuck saying, I need a word, God. Oh, God, I don't know. I need, I need a word, God. I don't know if I could surrender this way. God, I just, I'm going to have to have a word on this. And I just wonder what would happen if you did what you knew. Right. Like like sometimes sometimes we need a word. I'm always for having a word from God. But sometimes we just need to do something with what he said last time. Like like we, we've got a, a journal full of words from God and we're still sitting here till we die. 
And what I love about it is they didn't know the word of God, yet somehow they brought the word of God to pass by simply doing what they knew to do. They said, I can't go back and I can't stay here. So my deliverance must be found in my forward direction. I'm praying for a little bit of King Julian to hit you. We got to move it, move it. We got to move it, move it. We got to move it. That's what I'm praying for you. Because some of you are dying because you're still sitting in the same place. You were sitting three years ago and you're saying, God, give me a word. And God's saying, you got to move it, move it. You got to move it. You know, <laughs> God can only move through people who move. Write that down, please. God can only move through people who move. You remember David? David shows up on the battlefield and all of Israel is shaking in their boots because Goliath, the enemy, the giant is standing out there and he's saying, he's defying the armies of God. He's cursing God and no one's moving. And David said, I'll move. Bring it. That's what he said. Because you, you're, not, you're not cursing me. You're cursing my God. And God just needs to move, but he can't move until somebody moves. And David said, I'll move. And God delivered Israel through one little boy who would move. I love it because if God can't find a man who will move, he'll find a teenager who will move. He's just looking. If a man won't move, a woman will move. If a woman won't move, a man will or a girl will or a boy will. God's just looking for somebody who will. Remember Moses? That God delivers them miraculously out of Egypt and now they're stuck at the Red Sea. And they're kind of thinking, the Red Sea? And here comes Pharaoh's armies, the most powerful army on the earth at the time. And all of a sudden people start crying the same way we do when we feel stuck. And it's like, God, you led us all this way and now our choices are drown or be killed by Pharaoh? And you know what Moses, you know what God told Moses? Literally, you can look it up, Exodus 14, homework. Stop crying to me. Go forward. I wonder how long you're going to cry before you finally trust God enough to move forward. And Moses said, we're going across. And in that moment, what looked like a trap of their demise became a trap of the demise of their enemies. Because in that moment, while it looked like Israel was under attack, truthfully, Egypt was under attack. Because when they decided to move forward and Moses stretched out that rod over the sea and God parted the Red Sea, they went through and God used what had looked like an obstacle that could not be crossed to be a barrier that drowned their enemies behind them. And I wonder if you would just face the enemy and move forward if God wouldn't take care of the enemy for you. Because it says these lepers, just they just started walking like, well, we're going to surrender. And when they got there, there was food and there was goodies, right? There was sugar gumdrops and raisins and, 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 and trail mix, because I love eating trail mix. Steak and potatoes. 
and the enemy was gone. They never fought the enemy. They just moved forward. And when they moved forward, God moved the enemy. Your deliverance is determined by your direction. You know what I love too? Is, is it didn't just deliver them. God used them, because here's the word. God used them to deliver a whole city. I think God's been waiting for a people in Longview who will stop having church and start being the church and who will move forward. And if he can get, you know what I love about this too? They were lepers. They weren't skilled fighters. They were the rejects. They were the broken they were the diseased, right? They were the ones that didn't have it all together. And God's saying, I don't need you to have it all together. I just need you to move it, move it. Are you with me? Don't wait until you get it all together. They'd have sat there until they died trying to get it all together. He's saying, no, I just need some people who will move. And if I'll get some people that will move, I can liberate an entire city. And I'm saying, Pathway, could we just be the King Julians? Could we just be the people who move? Could we just be the people who say we're going forward no matter what? Could we be the people who aren't scared to confront our enemies? Can we be the people that realize there's only famine back there and there's nothing right here? So the only option is confront the enemy and go forward and see what God will do with our lives if we will keep moving forward. How many want God to use you? How many want God to use you? You know you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Why don't you stand with me?